Well, welcome to this edition of Rail Group on Air, our podcast series produced by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. A short time ago, the United States Department of Transportation and the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, in consultation with the Federal Railroad Administration, issued a final rule authorizing the bulk transportation of liquefied natural gas, or LNG, by rail. Specifically, the rule will permit the bulk transportation of LNG in DOT 113 specification tank cars with enhanced outer tank requirements and additional operational controls. Publication of the rule complies with Executive Order 13868, promoting energy infrastructure and economic growth, issued in April 2019. The rule requires remote monitoring of the pressure and location of LNG tank cars. In addition to improved braking, the rule requires a two-way end-of-train device or distributed power system when a train is transporting 20 or more tank cars loaded with LNG in a continuous block or 35 or more such tank cars of LNG anywhere in the consist. Furthermore, the rule requires railroads to conduct risk assessments to evaluate safety and security. With me is David Nahas, Railway Age's financial editor and president of Railroad Financial Corporation. And our guest is Scott Nason, who is application development Manager, Rail and ISO Markets for Chart Industries. So welcome, uh, Scott and David. So Scott, for Chart Industries, what does this rulemaking uh, present in terms of an opportunity? So for Chart, um, it's very exciting because we've we've had uh, lots of inquiries for people wanting to move LNG by rail. And uh, for years, the answer has been wonderful. We'd like to help. We have a product ready to go, but it's not allowed by the regulatory establishment. Uh, so now that it's allowed, um, we think there's a number of small-scale opportunities throughout North America uh, where moving LNG by rail could be uh, more cost-effective and safer than moving it by truck, uh, which does happen today. Can you give me any specific examples of particular business opportunities for, for LNG? I think the uh, U.S. to Mexico, I think, is a very good opportunity. There's currently LNG moving from Texas uh, into parts of Mexico by uh, highway trailer. And I think that, that uh, rail could be a more cost-effective way to do that. LNG from um, Pennsylvania, the Marcellus Shale, where it's uh, abundant and very inexpensive, into New England, be that New York, New Jersey, uh, Massachusetts, the uh, Competition in Massachusetts, uh, where I'm from, would be versus LNG imported uh, generally from Trinidad these days into a large import terminal in Boston. And um, whether or not rail direct to a location can compete with that, uh, we think it's possible. Um, I think there's some similar activity on the West Coast where uh, currently LNG is, is trucked to various uh, peak shaving applications. And then I think there may be some U.S. to Canada or vice versa. Where Canada allowed LNG by rail back in 2014, I think with just the Canadian market authorizing it, it was a tough investment to make. Mm-hmm. But with it authorized in the U.S. and with Mexico generally following along with U.S. and Canada, I think the market becomes much more substantial. 
Scott, in the, a lot of the discussions that I have with people in the finance community talking about a variety of different issues, you know, LNG transport is one of the things that comes up as a growth opportunity for North American rail. And as I'm sure you're aware, we, we're, we're in need of as, many, as much optimism and as many growth opportunities as we can get our hands on at the current environment. When you think of the scale that LNG might have for movement in North American uh, rail, what do you think the the scale of the opportunity really is. I think that's one of the things where a lot of people struggle in terms of defining what the what the size of the opportunity looks like. Sure, and um, I don't have that that magic answer. Lots of natural gas is certainly is currently moved around uh, the U.S. in pipelines to to large population centers, and the pipeline is is clearly the most cost effective and safest way to move the natural gas molecule. There has been LNG uh, transported by highway trailers uh, literally for 50 to 60 years and uh, large shipping operations for 50 to 60 years. So the LNG portion is well established, and, um, but I, I think the, the market for rail will be displacing some of the trucking and then opening up some new, um, what we'll call off the pipeline applications. Uh, so, the, for instance, Marcellus into New England, certainly New England has a well-developed pipeline infrastructure. However, expanding that is virtually impossible. We've recently heard of pipelines canceled. We've seen pipeline um, expansions or extensions throughout New England and most recently, I think, into New York, um, canceled or postponed indefinitely. And the cost is through the roof for new pipelines. Um, and I think, um, in, in a good way, everyone would agree that if we're going to move these molecules and the choice is highway versus rail, the choice for everybody, even if they hate LNG and natural gas, is to move it by rail, mm -hmm. much safer mode of transportation. Do you feel that the railroads are looking forward to the opportunity to move LNG by rail or... Is it something that you you think they'll come along as those opportunities present themselves? I think they are. The, um, the folks that I get to talk with mostly are um, hazmat responders or mechanical people that attend the AAR tank car committees. And, and I've asked them over the last few years, you know, point blank, are, do you have any fears of LNG? Are you afraid of it? Do you, do you consider it a bomb on wheels? And their answer is always no. Their answer is always that we carry a lot worse stuff um, than LNG, and uh, we're trained and know how to handle it. Um, last summer, a uh, special permit for a project to take LNG by rail from uh, Pennsylvania to New Jersey received a lot of public press as the draft special permit, a draft a risk, risk assessment of the route and a draft um, uh, environmental evaluation were released to the public for comment, generated some 3,000 comments, and was a good precursor for the uh, final rule uh, process uh, that came out. And in most of the articles, um, even if the headline was negative and the first couple of paragraphs were negative, by the time you got down into the body of the article, generally the conclusion was that given all the other hazardous materials we carry, I'd much rather respond to the LNG incident than to the chlorine incident, than to the right. PIH or TIH incident. There's a group that says, leave it all on the ground and never touch anything. And there's nothing we can do or say to change that perspective. 
But for those who recognize we're going to move these things, they see LNG and natural gas as, you know, as it goes back to gaseous form, if any should escape. They see that as handleable and uh, able to respond to an incident and contain it. You mentioned uh, earlier when you were talking about the, the business activities of chart that a lot of the assets are owned by the either the party consuming the product or the owner of the product. Uh, do you see the same thing happening with the LNG tanks or do you see the possibility of a lease market originating uh, for these cars? Great question. Um, initially, I, I see the same model being followed. I think there's a critical mass that needs to be achieved before uh, leasing comes into play. But the contrast to that statement would be in Europe, where Chart has, uh, in a partnership, has participated in the building of two LNG tank cars, and uh, they are owned by a company that uh, only offers them for lease. So certainly that model could come to fruition, but I would say to get started, it's likely to be owned by my guess would be the people selling the LNG, but possibly by the consumer. David, let me ask you, uh, many of us in this industry well recall a number of years ago where the crude oil market just grew almost uh, exponentially with Bakken crude and uh, oil sourced by fracking from other regions. And of course, that led to a construction of a massive amount of tank cars. And, and now we have a new, a new tank car safety spec. Do you see this as a possibility, maybe not on the same scale, but do you see this as a possibility happening for LNG? Will we see uh, an increase in, in traffic, an increase in building these cars? Because like the crude oil, uh, there wasn't really the pipeline capacity to handle, handle all that product. It, yeah, seems, I, it seems like there is the same thing may happen with, with LNG, as, as Scott just mentioned, with pipeline capacity in certain regions. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that, that we've always spoken about, Bill, in regards to crude by rail, is that the need for crude by rail was always going to exist to, to go to places where pipelines weren't reaching today and are unlikely to reach in the future. And so as, as Scott had said earlier, you know, he sees it today as something that, you know, off the pipeline opportunities. And I think that's a pretty good descriptor for it because you could imagine the penetration of LNG into locations vis-a-vis -vis rail where you don't have the opportunity to, to, to pipe that at that uh, commodity today and where the rail shipment of that commodity should easily just decimate on a price basis the cost of moving that by truck. So in that capacity, if we as an industry look to the, the opportunity to move that into a more diverse location base, sure, there should be an exponential increase in growth. It's not going to come to the level of CBR at the end of the day, just not enough, I think, applications. But for what it is today for what it versus what it can be, I think absolutely, if we wanted to put that focus point as an industry, we could absolutely see very strong growth in this commodity market. And, and we need it, frankly, right now, as you know, we need it. Uh, we need that opportunity. Uh, just real briefly, one of the, um, I used the term off the pipeline. I think that's a good term, but another one used in our industry is small scale LNG, where it's less than the large uh, ship loads and uh, less, less consumption than the um, than the largest of the large um, liquefaction facilities such as Chenier and Elba Island and others. And um, 
more and more people are able to uh, divert operations from diesel for either cost or environmental reasons and from propane for the same reasons to a, um, a very abundant um, product in natural gas uh, with pretty stable long-term pricing. You know, you guys are, are clearly the, the, the leader and the originator of the, the 113 design. How do you see now with this opportunity, the competitive landscape shaping up from the manufacturing side? Are you, you know, are you worried about patent expiration and the other builders wanting to get into this segment now that it's clearly an opportunity? Always concerned um, about others and, and we fully expect um, uh, that others will, will be involved. Um, to date, it's um, cryogenic tank cars, 113 says it's been a very small market with, with one plus player um, pursuing it. The somewhat parallel business of, of fuel tenders for locomotives for carrying liquefied natural gas to supply natural gas to a dual fuel locomotive, uh, a much hotter subject in 2012, 13, 14 into 2015, mm -hmm. but still very active today. That brought out a sign of who might compete. You know, one or two of the major uh, tank car companies that exist today certainly showed interest at that time and a couple other folks. But it's still a, somewhat of a niche market. And while the, the tanks are cylindrical and tank within a tank, the thermos bottle aspect of suspending that inner tank that holds the LNG, in this case, at minus 260 degrees Fahrenheit, um, insulating that and the vacuum aspect of that is unlike any other tank bar construction and uh, does not fit well in a, I mean this respectfully, but in a generic tank car shop. Mm -hmm. It's distinctly different to build that vacuum insulated thermos bottle. And then the, uh, the piping, the valves, the controls are unlike any other valves currently used in industry. I recall, Scott, a number of years ago when uh, during some of the testing of the uh, LNG dual fuel locomotives and the, the tanks that Chart was building, you, you described how these things are, are constructed and, and uh, you use that thermos model analogy. It's uh, quite interesting. And they're actually, in terms of uh, strength, puncture, uh, rollover, uh, they're quite sturdy. If you could maybe uh, give some safety pointers on that. Sure. So they are a, um, a double-walled uh, thermos bottle design. So there's a stainless steel inner tank that is a, um, a pressure vessel that holds the cryogenic liquid, be it LNG, liquid argon, nitrogen, oxygen, even liquid hydrogen one day. Um, and that uh, stainless steel is a fabulous material with incredible ductility. And it, um, and it, is, it maintains all its properties down at those very low temperatures. That has to be suspended within the outer tank, which is um, for these new cars is 916 TC128 grade B carbon steel heads and shells. In the earlier ethylene and argon cars was 716 shells and half inch heads. And the, the manner in which you suspend that inner tank within the outer tank is a, certainly a, a, an area of prime intellectual property and, and know-how but you have to um, suspend it such that you meet all of the structural requirements of rail cars uh, uh, being humped and slamming into one another and the um, buff and draft of railroad activity and the forces of, of braking and, and, and whatnot. Uh, everything you do to make that structurally sound is in opposition to everything you want to do to make it the best possible thermos bottle. 
And so you have to find the balance that satisfies both. And, uh, and for that, in the um, LNG, liquid ethylene, um, put in a plug for liquid ethane and liquid nitrogen, oxygen, argon, we literally have a 50-year operating history of how successfully that structural requirement is balanced against the thermal requirement. And it, it's, it's a unique challenge in, in structural design. Safety aspects, um, the um, LNG fuel tenders, because they would potentially be the second vehicle in a train right behind the lead locomotive and in front of the second locomotive, have a much greater likelihood of being involved in either a grade crossing accident or severely impacted by a head-on collision. They had incredible design criteria of, of um, absorbing the energy of a, of a 45 mile an hour head-on collision of two trains in the longitudinal direction. And then the grade crossing crash of a 80,000 pound truck careening into the side, anywhere along the side of the tender at 40 miles an hour. The tank car uh, will not be in such a position in the train. It will always be at least five cars behind the rear locomotive uh, of the consist. Um, so it doesn't have that 40 mile per hour uh, crash scenario at the, at the grade crossing. Um, the new regulations do impose some, some additional uh, structure on the piping cabinet for these cars. And uh, as you noted at the beginning, the, the new regulations require a thicker outer tank, which is based on the work done with crude oil cars and based on the impact testing, uh, puncture testing done uh, at TTCI in Pueblo. And they tested an existing 113 car in November of last year with a full-scale puncture test. And it performed very well. I understand uh, recently uh, another simulated test has been done. I understand those tests met or exceeded that of the 117, the latest crude oil cars. And so that's a, that's a great measure. And they do a very, very thorough test. And they make the, the test setup is such that results are comparable, very directly comparable from one car to another. Uh, so they've done some excellent testing. And uh, in the industry and government coalesced around that 916 thickness outer car and uh, good decisions made there. Scott, in terms of quantity of 113s uh, for, for purposes of moving LNG, what are your projections, you know, kind of for the rest of the year, maybe into next year? I mean, we're in the middle of rail car Armageddon, such as it were, for yeah. a lot of commodity classes and, and a lot of business lines. And so... You know, as, as much as we're happy to see this rule change, which is a positive for the industry, in, in many ways it couldn't have come at a, a, a worse time uh, in some, to some degree. But so what are you, what are you thinking it's, the market's going to look like in the near and intermediate? Yeah, very hard to say. Um, I would love to see, um, you know, an order for 10 to 25 cars to get started, um, get some cars um, built, uh, get some experience. Uh, not that there's not... 50 years worth of experience with ethylene and argon, but get some additional experience with LNG, with the new thicker outer tank car. Um, you know, the Pennsylvania to New Jersey project was, uh, was potentially two or 300 tank cars um, to take the output of a, of a modest um, liquefaction plant. It's a tough call. I personally see um, smaller batches of 10 to 20 cars um, displacing that trucked business in New England, in the West Coast, to Mexico, possibly to or from Canada. 
and um, we'd be thrilled to get started with, with somebody's order for, for 10 to 25 cars. Our existing facilities in New Prague, Minnesota are you know, fully certified and approved. Um, we've built the 113 C120W car. Um, what, what's approved for LNG, of course, is the W9 with the thicker outer tank. Um, but um, not a design issue, not a technology issue. Uh, we're ready to go on all those fronts. Any concerns about raw material availability in the current circumstances were in order to be placed? No. I had a safety-related question. Worst case scenario, all right, if there's a, if there's a, a derailment on one of these trains and there is a, an accidental uh, release of product, the conditions for a, an explosion or a flash fire or something to occur are very remote. Am I correct in, in that assessment? I believe you are. Um, certainly a, a number of those co- were concerns were expressed in both the uh, special permit process that was um, public last summer and in the comments on this um, when this was an NPRM. Um, so first of all, to, to breach the car, you have to breach the, uh, what will be 916's outer car and then the uh, inner tank, uh, which is in the neighborhood a quarter inch stainless steel. Um, so the, uh, if you're to poke a hole between the two tanks, um, and so let's say you do it down bottom, so gravity helps you. The uh, the inner tank is under pressure. Uh, it's when the car is loaded, it has to be at 15 psi or less. As it uh, as it is out day by day, uh, as good a thermos bottle as we make, some heat does come from the ambient environment into the liquid. It warms it up, causes it to expand, and the pressure to rise. A typical liquid ethylene car ships at 10 PSI and arrives at uh, anywhere between 20 and 30 PSI on a, what, what for them is a typically a 15 day journey, um, a manifest train without high priority. Uh, LNG in any kind of, um, not even unit train is likely to be delivered much quicker. But if you ship it at 15 PSI and, and, um, and you have a derailment or an incident halfway through your trip, and it's at 30 PSI, and you have 30 PSI of force pushing product out, at least initially, until that pressure declines. If you break a pipe and spew liquid out, the cryogenic liquid will come out. It has to cool everything in its path. It has to cool down first um, for more liquid to get out. And then as it, expand, as it warms up, it expands uh, volumetrically 600 to 1, times as it as it goes out into the atmosphere and then um, natural gas can potentially catch fire when it's mixed with air in a ratio of 5 to 15 percent really fairly narrow range greater than 15 percent natural gas it's too rich and will not ignite Uh, less than five percent it's too lean and will not ignite one of the concerns broached by regulators and, and not confirmed by the way was a so-called jet fire, uh, the, the, the internal pressure. Um, I said it's you know maybe 30 PSI. It, it, the, the inner tank has a safety relief valve set at 75 PSI. Uh, and that's a good thing that it's higher so that under normal routine circumstances, you won't be venting gas out through that valve. It'll take an upset condition. But potentially, in an upset condition, you could get to 75 PSI and open a safety relief valve and be venting gas at 75 PSI for a time. 
Uh, if that ignites, you'll, you'll have a fire blowing from that safety relief valve, possibly blowing from a broken pipe. And then where the wind blows, how the wind's blowing, uh, what's in the path of that uh, could affect uh, what is done for damage. Um, but in general, I think you're going to see uh, if you breach and if you flow gas out and if you ignite it, I think what you're going to see is a lazy flame that burns its way back to the source, but it'll never burn its way back into the inner tank because that's 100% gas under positive pressure. So you'll never burn your way back to the tank. I believe uh, you will never uh, see a blevy for two reasons. You won't burn your way back into the inner tank. And even if the entire car is engulfed in fire, um, A, you have enough safety relief devices to handle the car engulfed in fire and to vent the gas out to prevent the pressure building up. Your 916th outer tank car is a, of a steel quality that, that under the most fire conditions that I understand is not going to melt and disappear. So you're not putting the fire directly on the inner tank. So I can't unequivocally state that you can never have a blevy or a catastrophe uh, but for those reasons, I don't see it happening. And certainly if LNG is going to move um, other than pipeline, uh, it would you'd rather see it in a tank car than on the highway in a truck. Correct. Absolutely. Correct. We make highway trailers as well. We think they're a very good product. They've been out there for 50 to 60 years. But um, the outer tank is thinner. The inner tank is thinner. Um, the pressure rating is similar. Um, but they're more exposed. Um, they carry 10 to 11,000 gallons where the tank car carries 30,000 gallons. Um, and generally you only have one trailer at a time. Um, and even with the highway trailers, we've seen over the years, some good road accidents or bad road accidents, if you will. And, uh, very often the LNG remains contained in the inner tank. Well, Scott, thank you for joining us. Uh, very, very informative, and we'll have to see where the market goes. I'm sure, uh, David, uh, you will be watching this closely, and we hope that at Rail Equipment Finance next year in, in California, uh, we'll, have, uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. So thank you both. We wish you good health and have a safe day.